I'm Alex Mellaris. And I'm Tai Fu. And this week, I'm going to make sure my USB microphone is plugged in properly because last week there were some problems with it. But it still looks like my audio is semi very quiet. I'll make sure it's not too bad. Anyway, uh, as promised, this week we talked about, well, we watched and now we're going to talk about the Nashville Predators. And we were actually both just talking before we started recording that we have somehow way more notes on this team than we usually do for other teams. Uh, and for a team that we think of as being not so interesting anymore, there's a, a surprising amount to talk about and a surprising amount of, of interesting, maybe not so much storylines, at least for me, it's more so interesting specific players uh, who we're going to get to. Matt Duchesne, for one, uh, as we have kind of been aware of, has been having this resurgence, actually playing like a, an eight or so million dollar player this year for the first time in, you know, probably since he was on the Avalanche. Uh, Tanner Jeannot is an interesting one. I actually saw an article headline on The Athletic that was like, should Tanner Jeannot be in the Calder Trophy discussion? And he's definitely not the favorite, but I mean, the numbers say he definitely has a case to be in the, you know, on the edge of the top three. Uh, they, heading into this week, had lost two in a row, then lost two more, and then won the last two by convincing three goal margins each. So perhaps you could call this a, a tale of two weeks for the Nashville Predators. Right. Um, but at the same time, I think I still got, you know, a good idea of what this team is. And, you know, we're looking at where they are in the standings right now. Um, I don't know points percentage-wise, but they're definitely in the thick of things. Points-wise, they're second place in the Central. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's really... If, at first glance, it's mystifying, right, as to why the Predators are just are doing this well. Um, I mean, you, you look at basically everybody's preseason predictions. Nobody predicted anything good coming out of Nashville. Um, if you just look at that roster on paper, it just didn't look like there was talent there, right? And, uh, you know, it was headlined by the by the Duchesne-Johansson pair. But uh, it, it seems that, especially with, with the forwards, that you've got, you know, obviously you mentioned the Duchesne resurgence. Johansson's been fine um, as like a middle six middle six center and you know a couple names you got Jano. i thought yakov trenin has looked particularly good uh in his middle six role and it's just like you know kind of out of nowhere almost you you have a pretty decent and deep forward core uh when it's healthy and obviously philip forsberg uh is, is the best forward out of those and he's having a great season and it's just like well you know it seems like they've kind of put it together and uh you you got the makings of a of a pretty good team yeah, with all the postponed games that were earlier on in the season, the Western standings, there's such a difference when you sort by points versus points percentage. Um, Anaheim actually right now, for example, is second in the Pacific by points outside of the playoffs when you sort by points percentage. Um, Nashville, it's uh, less drastic, but they are second in the Central by points. By points percentage, they are in the top wildcard spot and fifth in the West. So they are exceeding expectations this year, even though they were in a bit of a, a slump around the start of this week. First game was a 5-3 loss to the St. Louis Blues. Nashville did score first, though, and right away, basically, uh, it was confirmed, which is one of the main players I had my eye on, which is, well, Matt Duchesne's having a resurgence this year, interested to see uh, how good he looks. And right away, he looked great. I had a, a, a very dynamic feed to Ryan Johansson for like a tap-in goal. 
which, uh, you know, continued that theme that, that actually continued on throughout the week. Matt Duchesne played great. And who would have thought that would come? Uh, Philip Forsberg, also kind of uh, the same deal. Duchesne and Forsberg, they had like a couple nice tic-tac-toe plays later in the week, I remember. Uh, but Forsberg had a great individual effort in this game to put Nashville up 2 nothing by like out-muscling and blowing by Justin Falk. Yeah, that was really a, like a one-man show goal. Uh, and yeah, it's really that top line that for Nashville that's playing like a bona fide top line uh, with, you know, Duchesne, uh, Granlin at center, and then you got Forsberg on the other wind. Um, you know, they, it looks like they've, you know, with Duchesne, you know, upping his game, it looks like they have like a, like a top 10 first line in the league probably. Uh, and yeah, you know, with, with Duchesne, it's funny because it's like, you know, what, 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 what happened? <laughs> right? Um, like he, he's looked washed the last like two, three years ever since he signed this contract. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, this year, um, yeah, it looks like he's he's found his playmaking touch. I find that you know he's awfully active um, in the slot, uh, and he seems to be getting a lot of production there. That was that was throughout the week, um, but yeah, so so that in that you know Nashville went off to a good start. Um, but when we look at why they ended up losing that game, uh, like five three to the Blues, uh, it was like every single goal, or not maybe not everyone, but a lot of them, especially the last three for the Blues, they were all off of odd man rushes. Uh, and that might, might, that might be because, um, you know, they had, they were missing two defensemen, uh, they're missing Fabro, they're missing Ekholm for this game. Um, but you know, it was also something that we saw with the, you know, with the Canucks goals, uh, the, you know, in, in the second game, the Canucks also started with a rush goal. Uh, and so, you know, when we're talking about a weakness that I saw, uh, definitely those rush chances that, that, uh, that they were given up that led to goals for the blues. Yeah, I was going to mention the same thing, uh, especially I think that last Blues goal kind of really stood out to me. Mark Borowiecki, Mark Borowiecki kind of just diving around, flailing, not really uh, being in good position for it. Uh, and he was on the pairing with Matthew Benning, the other defenseman in this game for Nashville besides Roman Yossi were Alex Carrier, Philip Myers, and Ben Harper. So not exactly a, a cast of superstar. I was going to say Roman Yossi and his band of merry men, but even calling them merry men sounds a little bit generous. Uh, and when you look at just the, the personnel, it's no surprise really that they gave up so many uh, grade A chances off the rush. Yeah. Uh, and for once, it looks like with this team that, that's been characterized by really their defensemen, um, that yeah, that, that defense core has taken a step back. Uh, and it's really the forwards, and, and we'll talk about UC Saros eventually. Uh, but it's really those two that are they're carrying the team to the success right now because it's certainly not the defense. Um, you know, obviously, Yossi, he's having a you know, a, a Norris candidate kind of kind of season. But otherwise, it's, it's guys that are just, feels like they're barely treading water. Mm-hmm. It was kind of the same story in the, that Vancouver game. Vancouver beat Nashville 3-1. to one. Uh, So I actually don't, I don't have many notes on that one. Except one extra thing that uh, they got goalied a little bit. They outshot Vancouver by by at least a little bit, I'm pretty sure. That Thatcher Demko is great, which is kind of how, as we know, Vancouver kind of has to win due to their league worst defense um but after that game things are going pretty well for nashville even though actually i'm pretty sure i might be wrong at least for three out of the four games the winning team was the team with fewer shots which is perhaps partly score effects but also kind of a strange coincidence yeah i think we saw you know i think we saw like you know some goalie effects too i mean like if you look at the third goal the Canucks scored uh, that was fucking bad, and it was uh, it was Riddich in net, right? So you know that that ex- that explains some things. Um, but yeah, speaking of goalies, I mean, it was, it was big goalie showdown for the third game, right? Uh, Jets and Pred, and you had Hellebuck and and Saros both starting, 
And uh, I mean, yeah, it's just like one goalie looks significantly better than the other. I thought Hellebuck looked, you know, weak as hell uh, over the course of the game, giving up some of the goals. Um, and yeah, and, and Saros was on his game. The Preds, I thought their forecheck looked particularly impressive. Uh, and I saw that throughout the week. Um, and they were able to generate some some good chances and some goals off of that. Uh, and I think that's when it comes to their forwards, it seems like the forecheck is, is definitely one of their strengths. Uh, and, you know, the key to, to a lot of their sustained zone pressure. Mm-hmm. In that, um, their first one of the week against the Jets, 5-2, they were up 3 nothing after the first period. Uh, and the first goal was Ellie Tolvanen. And it was a very, it was a very high skill play. It was a, a a high deflection that was almost a high stick. I think they reviewed it and determined it was fine. That ended up Hellebuck uh, made the initial save on it, but Tolvanen quickly batted in the rebound. And I was like, oh yeah, Ellie Tolvanen. So he was a first round pick who slipped to like very near the end of the first round. We were projected to go earlier. He was one of the standout players as a nineteen or twenty year old at the twenty eighteen Olympics. And we're just going to look out for this guy. He's got a, you know, incredible skill. He's got skill to spare. And then, you know, for a number of reasons, including defensive, you know, inefficiency, we could say, uh, it took a while for him to kind of establish this role in Nashville. He still is seems to be showing flashes of very high-end skill and a high ceiling. Last year, he was on uh, about a 20-goal pace over an 82-game season. This year he's scoring at a significantly lower clip. Uh, it seems like he still hasn't really put it all together yet, but he's still pretty young, about 23, I think. And, you know, if Nashville is hoping to uh, not end up, you know, down near the bottom of the standings after their current core ends up aging out slash leaving, Tolvin is probably going to be an important part of that, his development. Yeah, I mean that's it's certainly a, a fascinating story in terms of Tolvanen, right? Like it was he was like uh, you know that one blue chip prospect for Nashville for a little while where he was like, okay, if they're gonna buy, um, we're definitely gonna ask for Tolvanen. You know, he was like basically every every mock trade you could find uh, that involved the Predators in a big piece. Um, but yeah, he, he's kind of disappeared after you know his I guess his his stock went down a bit. Um, but yeah, he, he's been you know carving a nice little role in the bottom six. Uh, and yeah, he he is twenty three. You know, it feels like he's been. You know, we've been talking about this guy forever. Uh, but but yeah, he 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 looked impressive. That that little, you know, the the batting down goal uh, in the Jets game was very nice. And uh, yeah, certainly, you know, definitely a name to, to track. And if they, yeah, you're right. If they if they do want to contend in the future, um, he he, he has to be a key piece because you know the the, the team isn't really uh, even even though you know you got Duchesne and Johansson doing so well this year, uh, the team's not not getting any younger. Um, so it, this team is pretty old. So, you know, pieces like Tolman become that much more, that much more important. Yeah. Uh, the big picture for, for Nashville is kind of like, you know, okay, yeah, sure. You know, Yossi's great. Duchesne and Forsberg are having strong years and it's bringing you to like fifth place in the Western conference. Okay, great. Like we, we were talking during the off season, during last season, Now's the time for Nashville to rebuild. They traded Ryan Ellis. What They traded Victor Arvidsson. What are they doing signing Matthias Ekholm to a four-year contract? And David Poyle's still the GM. We were like, this has to be David Poyle's last year, right? Uh, probably not, unless he like resigns or something, because it looks like they're on track to make the playoffs. So I don't... Well, Nashville is... like They're not a Stanley Cup contender. Not even close, really. Uh, so the the truth is that this probably 
encourages David Boyle to uh, definitely not sell at the deadline, hopefully not buy, um, but it kind of prolongs the eventual collapse. Yeah, you're right. They're they're still stuck like long term in a limbo, right? And David Boyle, uh, the immortal general manager, uh, who will who will never get fired. Um, yeah, no, it's a uh, it's a tricky situation for sure because you know I think they they've shown that they can be a good team this year though, right? And you know when it comes to the playoffs, you got Saros, you might goalie your way into a series or two. Right, theoretically, if he you know plays his ass off, which he has been this season, um, but yeah, that's the thing. It it, it isn't. It, it, this doesn't feel like a contender, right? It doesn't have the pieces for a contender. Even you know if Duchesne's playing well, like it's still Matt Duchesne, like a good Matt Duchesne, um, on your first line. I I wouldn't, you know, yeah, you you wouldn't you wouldn't expect this team to make a deep run, and it would be surprising if they did. So, uh, you know, what what is it moving forward? As I said, you know, it this is an old team. And so it's not like you're you're raring to go on a contention window that's starting to open. Uh, so you know what do you do? I mean, I, honestly, I don't know. Like, if you could buy a nice piece at the deadline, would I hate that? I don't think I would because you know, yeah, they should begin the rebuild. But you know, I think this team is too good to be like, you know, all right, we're we're, we're going to give up on you because they have been pretty good. You know, and I think they showed us this week they have what it takes to you know if they can shore up their defensive game. Um, you know, the, the, the forwards are coming along enough and you got the goalie for it to, you know, make a nice playoff run and, and why not? Right. You know, sell some, sell some tickets or, you know, play up, play it up to the fan base because, you know, long-term, how much does it really change for the Predators if they decide, you know what I mean? Like if, if they buy this year, right? Like it doesn't feel like they're on an imminent rebuild, which maybe they should, but it doesn't feel like it right now. Well, I would say they definitely should have been last season or at the end of last season or during last off season, uh, gone down that path of rebuild. And I, I really think at this point, a smart GM would look at the national roster construction and go, our best players are overperforming. Uh, and still it doesn't look like we are very likely at all to make a deep playoff run. Um, it's not smart to buy the deadline. It's not smart at all to give up futures when, when our prospect pool is already pretty bleak to begin with. Um, because, you know, we haven't picked high in a while, and we also haven't picked particularly well over the past five to ten years. Um, so I don't think buying is the, the right route for Nashville. I don't know, though. Like, it, this doesn't, like, this team has not, has refused to start its rebuild, basically, right? Um, and, and they yeah, probably should I'm have. I'm saying what it should but, do, not what, it, not what it will. No, no, I know. But, like, you know, at this point, what's the difference between buying one year and... Like, like, you know, not buying. Because you're not going to tear it down this year. You're not going to tear it down. And they're not going to. Um, because of how good this team's look this year. So, it's like... So, you so know, the, it's not, it's not, That's what I would do. Sure. But, you know, but that, that's... That's like, what would be so, smarter. Yeah, maybe. But I see... I don't, I don't see the, the huge cost. Because this, this prospect pool... The, the future doesn't look too good already. Like, it's already kind of shit. You're going to you're gonna have to go scorched earth eventually. Right? Um, and, you know... If you've got a shot at it, I say why not? Because you know, if they stand pat, what what's what's the best thing? Well, like what's what's the path there? Like another year of mediocrity, and like you know, the, well, the, how much does it change? You know what I mean, like, you, what's the path if you buy like some defenseman? I don't know. I can't even think of a name. If you go go trade for like who, who's even a defenseman on the market that Nashville could potentially target? If you go after like 
Lamina Calvin DeHaan or or I don't even know Mark Pisick. Is that really that's really what we need? Well, you know, I I don't see the huge like if if Mark Pisick can be a role player in the playoffs, and he he's not going to come particularly expensive. I don't see the huge downside to that. You know, where it's like this team is going to suck in three four years anyways, and you know you're not going to begin the rebuild this year. Why not give up some assets to to go for it when your team's looking pretty good? You got a Vesna caliber goalie. Your forwards are fine. You know, you got a Norris right. level D man. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, you do sound kind of like David Poyle here, being like, "Why not? Why not go all in?" I'm like, well, yeah, you know, seventy thousand years old. When can't imagine David. <laughs> exactly, I can't imagine David Poyle. Uh, yeah, if he starts a rebuild now, he's not gonna be. He's not gonna be around to to see any sort of yeah. fruits for his labor. So I, I can't. I would not be surprised if he went in either. Like you know, like. Yeah. I don't see the hate harm in it, He'll and I would not be surprised at all. He'll do anything he can to convince himself to... I'm surprised he wasn't, like, in on the Jack Eichel sweepstakes a little bit more when that happened. I don't think the team was, was proven enough at that point. Like, you know, maybe it was just, like, an October-November yeah. fluke at that point. Now we're, like, four months into the season. They still look pretty good. So, maybe, maybe now he would be in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Well, too bad Vegas isn't trading Jack Eichel. Anyway, something yeah. interesting from this Neither game. Is my fantasy Roman Yossi had two assists uh, to become the all-time leader in National Predators assists. Uh, I went and looked up the rest of the top ten. I'm curious how many of these players you can name. Uh, top ten in assists? Yeah, for Nashville okay. all-time. Um, it's Philip Forsberg there. Philip Forsberg is number seven. All right. Is uh who was the guy that was there forever? Was it David Legwand? David Legwand is number two. Hell yeah, big dubs. Um, who 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 is the <laughs> Nashville Predators uh icons? Man, let's see. Oh come on, you haven't named the most iconic Nashville Predator. Shea Weber. Shea Weber's number four. Okay. Uh, Ryan Suter. Did he stick around? Ryan Suter's number eight. All right. Wow. It's just like name old Nashville Predators, and you're probably going to be right. <laughs> yeah. If it's an old Nashville Predator that you even can think of, they're almost definitely on this list. <laughs> oh, man. What's, what's Little, number team? 11, I had never heard of that player. I don't even remember his name. <laughs> I've heard of the entire top 10. I like number 11. I've like never heard that name in my life. Oh, man. Okay, all right. Uh, you want to give me the rest then? Yeah. Number three, Martin Erat. Number right. five was Kimo Timonen. Number six, Ryan Johansson. Number oh, nine, shit. Ryan Ellis. And number oh, 10, man. Matthias Ekholm. <laughs> Ekholm's already there? Oh, that was crazy. Ekholm's number uh, 10. The uh, uh, bar's fucking low. Uh, what, what, what's the... Uh, uh, by the way, Philip Forsberg still has a ways to go. Uh oh, it was something around like 160. So I don't remember about yeah. that. Yossi's at like 300 something. Um, but Martin Erat is still quite ahead of Philip Forsberg on this list, which means jury's still out on the Erat for Forsberg trade, and whether Nashville <laughs> actually did indeed win it, or Washington was the were the true champions all along. Yeah, maybe they were. Eh? If they if he doesn't break, if he doesn't break his uh doesn't if 
Forsberg doesn't take third on that list. He's uh, he's cooked. He's washed. He's a bust. The fucking yeah, who cares if Martin Yard only had like three points with the Capitals? <laughs> well, let me go look up exact. It wasn't that few, but let me go look up Martin Yard's Washington numbers. Because that's not like a hindsight is 2020 trade. That was a, what are you doing? Martin Erat is washed and Philip Forsberg <laughs> is going to be a star. Uh, this Okay. So the 2012-13 season, Erat had 21 points in 36 games for Nashville. They trade him to Washington where he ends the year with three points in nine games and then zero points in four playoff games as they get swept by, I think it was the Rangers that year. Next year in Washington, he gets 21 goal and 23 assists for 24 points in 53 games. Uh, then leaves Washington, signs with the Coyotes, plays two seasons there, goes off to uh, to Europe. Assist machine. 23 to 1. That's a crazy ratio. Look at him go. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> who's number 10 on this list? I, I just found the list. Um, Jean-Pierre Dumont. Who did? That's 11. Yeah, that's number oh, 11. That's 11. Yep, that was oh, the name. Oh, my God. Oh, wait, yeah, no, wait, I'm not sorting by assists. There we go. Um, number 15 is somebody named Cliff Ronning. Have you ever heard of Cliff Ronning? No, I've never heard of Cliff Ronning. Me neither. Pretty Anyways. sure if, remember, if I remember right from when I was looking at this list, Craig Smith was number 12. Craig Smith is number 12. <laughs> Where's, uh, Callie Yarncrock is number 23. So Hey, what a super... Your boy, boy, Callie. <laughs> P.K. Subban's already in the top 30. Look at him go. It's, uh, uh, well, he's probably not going to climb that list unless he goes back true. to Nashville. He's he's firmly planted in the top 30, though. So, Well, there we go. Mm-hmm. The Nashville Predators. How long have they been around again? They come in 1999? Uh, 92? 98, I think. I think they okay. were in 98. Right. Alongside... Uh, the Senators? Alongside the Thrashers, I want to say. Yeah, and then 2000 was Columbus and Minnesota. Okay. All right. So yeah, it hasn't been the, the sunniest of times. But you know who's been there the whole time? David Poyle, baby. David Poyle. David the Poyle. whole time. Think about it. David Poyle has acquired all 10 of 10. And including actually all yeah. 11 of 11 of these top 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 assist getters. So Every single Nashville Predator ever Had was acquired by David Poyle. <laughs> That's so absurd, isn't it? That's so I stupid. <laughs> That's so fucking stupid. Uh, this, this one franchise has had one guy as a general manager the entire fucking time. I don't think we appreciate that enough. This guy, this guy, is, this guy. He's been there so long. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. just, he, they're just totally, anytime anyone thinks of the Nashville Predators, a memory or player or anything associated with it is directly a cause of something David Boyle did, almost certainly. <laughs> he is the franchise. Um, he is the franchise. The, yep. let, me, let me let me see if I can find a face of the franchise. <laughs> let me see if I can find a 1998 David Poyle picture. Let's see. Yeah, he he looks about the same. He looks about the same. Yeah, because so, yeah, he that's, doesn't that's, he doesn't actually look that old. No, he, he doesn't look his age really. No, he's he's how, wrinkly, how? but like he's not gray haired. Yeah, he's he's not like yeah he's he's 71. All right. Good yeah. For him. 71 and still on the fucking job. That's uh. That's mm-hmm. commitment. That's commitment to the. I'm predators. convinced he's gonna retire before he gets fired. Yeah. <laughs> no, point, we gotta, we, it's, it's a bit morbid, but at this point, we gotta wonder if he's gonna die on the job. He's, he's at that age, you know. Oh no, he's not quite there yet. <laughs> oh come on! You never know. You never know. Well, obviously, we hope for the best. Well, you never, you never know Paul. with anyone. And that's true. Anyway, 
Moving Astro. off the topic of death, <laughs> uh, there was My one bad. more. My bad. There was one more Nashville Predators game this week, um, and it was a four-one win over the Red Wings, where the Red Wings' only goal uh, was one the by far the most interesting part of the game to me. Uh, not just because it was one of those rare breakaway right out of the penalty box goals. Uh, this one scored by Adam Ernie, but because it reminded me of a hilarious video I watched earlier in the week. Um, uh, how familiar are you with pu- the puck personality videos? Uh, vaguely, vaguely, not not much okay. at all. Okay. Okay. So, in an effort to get to get their players into showing more personality, I guess. Um, the NHL started this. I have no idea how long it's been around, and it's so irrelevant. Um, but it's called Puck Personality, and they posted like three-minute videos where they ask a bunch of players a question and just like film their answers, I guess, and like edit the video together in a funny way. And this week, uh, this one happened to be making the rounds more than usual because it was something like, how do you feel in the penalty box? And so you got all these star players, you know, you got like Matthew Kachuk, you got Patrick Kane, you got Drew Doughty, Austin Matthews, Nathan McKinnon, all these players. And they're sitting there like, oh, you know, it doesn't feel good. Oh, you feel shame. Feel you're, there, you're just hoping the other team, you're just, <laughs> you're just hoping the other team doesn't score. It was three minutes of that. And Yikes. one funny thing about the video was that they edited it together so that when the players inevitably said the exact same things, they would sometimes <laughs> like have them say them at the exact same time, which I thought was kind of tongue-in-cheek. Nice self-awareness. Just... You'll have to see it. Uh-huh. Uh, but there was one, I think the most famous pug personality of all time was like at one point they had Connor McDavid, and I assume other players, fill out a form that was asking questions. Uh, that was like, it was super basic questions, but he gave like the most uncreative answers you could possibly imagine. Uh, I want to find it now because it's hilarious and I can't remember them now, but it was, it was stuff like something, uh, so you always bring on a road trip and he was like, my clothes, like who do you always <laughs> travel with? My team, just like things like that. That was that was the energy of it. It was like, oh, you're so boring, um, and and every uh, there's they're pretty often, um, these funny hockey Twitter people come up with far better ideas for puck personality than the NHL ever turns out. I just Twitter search puck personality, and I come across things like puck personality. Can you name a book? Any book? Puck personality. Where were you on January sixth, twenty twenty one? Puck personality, what's your credit card number? All these things. Puck personality, show us your Spotify rap. <laughs> oh wait, these are these are these ideas? For, yeah, uh, these are ideas. Okay. Where were you on January sixth? That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, but uh, yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, so yeah, Connor McDavid answering questions like he designs his house clearly. Um, but yeah, no, that's uh, what's. <laughs> So I guess yeah, Adam Ernie feeling uh, like hoping that his team wouldn't give up a goal. He's feeling upset, and he, uh, what is it? He he made up for it. Good for him in a four-one loss. Um, but yeah, otherwise, otherwise in that game, it was pretty low-key. You know, it was like you know Nashville dominating for most of the game. The Forsberg Duchesne line was really good. They scored a couple of the goals, um, and you know they looked like they were clicking. 
And uh, yeah, that was about it. It's the Red Wings. Uh, you expect to win 4-1 and, and such scores. Um, and uh, yeah, well, pretty boilerplate. Puck personality, name all 50 states. Puck personality, <laughs> have you ever felt the touch of a woman? <laughs> puck, pers- puck personality, name all five members of One Direction. Oh, here's one from August 2021 from at Lower Body Injury. Puck personality is an oxymoron. I was going to say the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. Um, (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah, that's uh, good. (laughs) Truly, truly the wonders of marketing uh, by the NHL. Marketing powerhouse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I found found the video I was talking about. And the reason I thought of it when Adam Ernest scored was because at the end, someone, some player said like, oh, you're hoping maybe you can like get a breakaway out of the box or something like that. But wait, this video is three minutes and thirteen seconds long. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna play it and I'm gonna try and say exactly what they're saying as they're saying it for maybe like thirty to forty five seconds. Let's see, <laughs> let's see how we like it. Okay, I'm starting it over. Or not? We're oh, not I'm going in the penalty to. box. Uh, I don't think I love being in the penalty box. Oh, just hoping they don't score in the penalty box. That's about it. Uh, as Daniel Lemieux would say in Slapshot, you go to the box, you feel the shame. You go in there for two minutes, you feel shame. Well, you go to the box two minutes, you feel shame. Depends on the penalty, depends on the situation. If it was a good call, you just accept it and sit in there. If you don't agree with the call, you usually go with a little tantrum. Little uh, That was Drew Doughty, by the way, who said, maybe oh, you, maybe you throw the water bottle. All right, I'll stop it there. Uh, but <laughs> he, was, he was the only one who gave a somewhat interesting answer. And then he was like, oh, yeah, I might throw the water bottle. I might slam my stick on the glass. Mm. So, yeah, what's our takeaway from this video? Players feel ashamed. When they're in the penalty box, that's a that's a revelation. And the caption, I never would have guessed. The caption from the NHL. The caption from the NHL is a bunch of uh hand like note taking handwriting emojis interspersed over "Don't take penalties." <laughs> well, so- someone's having fun in the social the NHL, department. The NHL has six point four million followers on Twitter. Guess how many likes this has? Oh my god. I'm going to say 20K. 460. <laughs> what an interaction rate. Oh, let me, let me the calculate NHL, the stats on that one. Jesus. The NHL gets so few likes on every all of their tweets compared to the number of followers they have. It's insane. <laughs> I'm just going through their entire feed. They're never breaking 500 or... <laughs> Extremely rarely breaking five hundred. Stop. That means they're 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 getting interactions on on zero point zero zero eight percent of their followers. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> what even? One sec. That's uh, you know, that's that's one out of one hundred and thirty people out here giving them that that the pity like. Um. So yeah, pity that's like, uh, yeah. Yeah. How many of those likes are ironic? And how many of them are actually like, wow, I'm so glad. This content is good content. Like. I, th- I, think, pro- <laughs> I, think, I think that's about 10 people. And they're all under the age of nine. Um, oh, yeah, some will sure. find their way on Twitter. So, uh, but yeah. No. <laughs> they, would, they would do well with a, with a like, retweet, comment, blitz. Because, well, no, you know what? They would do better with better content, honestly. Uh, <laughs> no wonder yeah. they get 400. Four hundred fucking likes. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, two more things I want to touch on on Nashville before I move on. One of them, as I, as I kind of teased at the top of the episode, 
Tanner Janot. We actually we made a little bit of fun at Tanner Janot's expense at the expansion draft because we noticed Nashville protected five defensemen and three forwards. And we were like, that's kind of weird. But one of the three forwards was Tanner Janot. And we were like, wow, if Tanner Janot is worth protecting, then maybe it, you are correct to go by protecting five <laughs> defensemen. But alas, Tanner Janot is leading rookies in goals this year with 13 on pace for, you know, well over 20, probably about 25 or 26, about halfway down the season. Lucas Freeman has 11, Zegers has 10. Uh, and in terms of total points, he's only behind Raymond Zegers and Sider. Uh, he is uh, quite a bit older than them. I think he's like right near the top of uh, Calder eligibility for age. He's like 23 or 24. But for a guy who was playing in the ECHL last season, this is a pretty impressive rise to prominence. That's crazy. How did the Preds even know that he was good enough to be protected? If he so they protected someone who had never played a single NHL game, or no, he played like fifteen. No, NHL he he games he last did year. play. He played fifteen. Yeah, he played okay. fifteen games last year. He had five goals and seven points, uh, and he had uh, he put up excellent AHL numbers. Um, so it's not like this guy had no pro- has shown no promise or anything, but that he would end up as like a you know a twenty six goal pace this soon was pretty unforeseen. Yeah, at least by us. out of nowhere, completely out of nowhere. Uh, if you're if you're someone who doesn't follow, you know, hawkishly follow the Predators, I guess. Um, even then, I'm sure a bunch of them are surprised because, uh, yeah, no kidding. And he now he's you know, this team is. Uh, he, he, I mean, he's a he plays a big role in the team now. So uh, you know, that's uh, that's out of nowhere. So you know what? Maybe we can give them that pass. Nah, I'm not giving them that pass though. I'm not giving the Preds that pass. But still protect, t- protecting Taylor Janot still. It's a, it's a bad time for a franchise. Taylor? You mean Tanner? T- did I say Taylor? I meant oh, Tanner. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a bad sign for the for the franchise. But even in the moment, though, we weren't saying it was stupid to protect him. We were just right. making fun of the fact that there weren't any better options. Yeah. It's, you could describe that as, as down bad uh, for a franchise. Um, so, yeah. that that's yeah. Uh, So, yeah. Good for Tanner Janot. He's uh, generating offense on that. What is he? Third line, second line. I don't know which line is which between the Johansson line and and then the Janot line. But either way, good for him. Good shit. Mm-hmm. And, this, and the second and final thing I want to bring up uh, is Nashville's goal song, which especially, I assume they played in the Winnipeg game too. For some reason, I only really noticed it in the game against Detroit. Um, it's uh, that song. I like it. I love it. I want some more of it by Tim McGraw from however many years ago. Is it that old? I don't know. Anyway, as many people know, um, that I don't know if I've mentioned on here, I am not a fan of modern popular country music at all. I think it's a disgrace to humanity, perhaps some of the worst <laughs> things I've ever heard. Um, one, one, one of these days on this podcast, we're going to go through the lyrics of my least favorite song of all time by Luke Bryan, which is called Most People Are Good. Not today, though. Anyway... Despite that, um, I think this is an excellent choice for the goal song because it's really annoying to the team that just got scored on, which is, of course, uh, as I mentioned before, the number one excellent priority. And if you're already celebrating from a goal, you can kind of just be like, oh, yeah, whatever, country music, let's go. So I think uh, an A-plus choice on the goal song for whoever made that decision. Yeah, I don't I don't know if you should be, uh, you know, spreading that kind of love on the platforms, though, if not teams will start catching on to it. 
uh, and then and then the default for goal songs will be country music, uh, and uh, who knows maybe that Luke because as you all know I have I have a great amount of influence uh, in NHL goal song selection. You know what I I get the feeling a little a little karma is gonna come away. Hopefully, most people are good shows up on one of these goal songs. That would be. That would be peak. We that would be peak, and then see, I would. See, I would. That would be. That's not. A, that's not even like. A, that's not trying to be like a hype song at all, though. It's. It's supposed to be all like you know, dramatic or whatever. So I'm not afraid that one would ever be selected. If they ever did, though, just for the record, we would start following that team every every week. That would be our permanent team. Oh no. Um. But uh. You know. Anyways. Anyway, yeah. So any 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 teams trying to make a podcast their home, our home, trying trying to become a podcast. Uh, I don't know what the know what the fuck the terminology is. Anyways, if you want us to cover your team, change the goal song to Luke Bryan's. Most people are good. You'll have to see it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure whoever, whichever general manager is listening to our podcast, like, oh no, we need to be covered on oh, wait, Fusion. No. Time to change our goal song. <laughs> As if yeah, we they... won't eventually get to every single team in the league. Right. <laughs> So yeah, no. Uh, okay, all right. So that's uh, that's Nashville this week. Um, yeah, that's uh, any. I, I don't think you have anything else to add, right? We're gonna move on to some league that's news. It. Um, so, I think we so, went longer on that segment than we usually do. Yeah, um, we do. Good for Nashville. But we now transition into the next uh, era of the Montreal Canadiens in terms of general manager. Kent Hughes, um, the Anglophone-sounding name who speaks French immaculately, uh, is the new GM. He had his press conference earlier in the week his, where he said all the right things. He said great things about how you know player development is really important. Analytics are really important. And you know for many people, that, that's the, exactly the quote of what you want to hear. One, two, boom, boom. This guy seems like he knows what he's talking about. And I think it was Greg Wyshynski, actually, who was like, when was the last time that after a GM's opening press conference, people were like, oh, that didn't go well. I don't know about this guy. Apparently, some people were kind of skeptical about Bill Zito after his in Florida, and he went on to win GM of the year, and we see how well the Panthers are doing. So maybe it's you know not indicative at all. But another name a lot of people brought up was Jim Benning back in 2014, who apparently was like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, I think analytics have their place uh, as or whatever he said. I don't even know. That was kind of dismissive of them naturally. Uh, but either way, uh, Kent Hughes probably will be, you know, not the go-to guy calling the shots. We imagine Jeff Gordon's going to be running hockey ops for the most part. But as Kent Hughes, who actually has no front office experience, uh, just left his player agency, which is kind of interesting, very interesting uh career route for someone to take uh will probably get more and more of a uh, of a say in things as he gets more comfortable with hockey operations in the front office or at least you'd imagine that'd be the case yeah absolutely i think because you have jeff gordon already established in that you know president role um you can afford to you know take a maybe not take a flyer but like hire a guy who has no general manager experience at all at any level basically right um so you know they can absolutely learn the ropes from from a guy like Jeff Gordon, uh, and uh, so yeah, that that's Kent Hughes. It's uh, yeah, that that agent to uh, general manager jump. I, I don't think you see it very often, but you know, maybe it helps him that he's already tried to. Uh, he's basically negotiated with these general managers, um, a lot of them already uh, as a player agent, 
And uh, yeah, as you said, uh, in that opening press conference, you just kind of, you just hope that your GM doesn't, you know, raise any red flags, like like an analytics thing, uh, being dismissive of it um, or anything like that. And yeah, he seemed fine. He seemed fine. He seems to have, uh, you know, he didn't say anything like, oh, I'm looking for a big, we're trying to be big and tough. Um, you know, he said, he said, he said they want to be fast and that's, uh, that's probably the right way to look at things. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, yeah, the, the organization obviously has had a number of issues with, uh, player development in particular. And so, yeah, that, that that's going to be a major point of focus. It's going to be one way, you know, to obviously judge both Gordon and Q's and their regime up, upcoming, uh, is, uh, can they improve this player development that's been bad for like 20 fucking years? Yeah. Uh, and there, there is nowhere to go but up. Uh, so I would be pretty comfortable in saying they can improve upon it, uh, at least somewhat. Uh, so the media was was pretty pleased with how uh, Kent Hughes uh, talked in his press conference. But not all media was pleased with the people they were talking to this week. Because over in Edmonton, Jim Matheson, everyone's favorite journalist, uh, was, was upset with Leon Dreisaitl, who was in turn upset with him. Um, the press conference heard around the world, or at least around some parts of North America, uh, went something like this, with uh, Jim Madison uh, talking to Leon Dreisaitl about, why are the Oilers bad? What are you doing wrong? And Leon Dreisaitl said, everything. And Jim Madison said, would you like to expand on that? And Leon Dreisaitl said, nope, you can do that, because you know everything, Jim. And Jim Madison said, why are you being so pissy? <laughs> and Leon Dreisaitl said, I'm not, I just answered your question. And Jim Madison said, no, you're being very pissy about it. Uh, and that, that really made the rounds. And I got to be honest, people were, you know, mostly taking Dreisaitl's side, especially because it seemed like Matheson had kind of been, you know, uh, egging him on trying to get specific answers for, like, a story that seemed like he had already mostly written. Um, and a few people were taking Jim's side, like, oh, there was no reason for Leon to, to be so disrespectful. And I think people taking this, taking one side or the other are kind of missing the point, which is that you don't need to take a side. It's just it's just really funny. No matter who you believe <laughs> is in the right or in the wrong, they're probably both kind of right and both kind of wrong. Uh, but either way, this is absolutely hilarious. Yeah, I mean, the Oilers clown show continues. Um, yeah, the, the, their precipitous fall has uh has proceeded to end uh even after we stopped covering them and uh yeah you, you know we start to see the media fireworks uh you know Edmonton media notoriously i guess annoying i don't know you got Jim Matson on there so that's that's a minus uh but anyways <laughs> i'm glad he's there is all i'm going to say because yes this provides great comedic value to everybody not in the Oilers fan base uh and yeah you know Looks like Matheson was just, you know, Jim was being a prick, you know, and <laughs> Leon was kind of pissy, and he probably was pretty pissy, honestly, but also Matheson was definitely being a prick about it, and uh, yeah, it, it's nice that it was aired out, everybody got to see their dirty laundry, and uh, everybody got to have a good laugh at the other's expense. That never gets old. Mm-hmm. I do have to, Jim Matheson, and there are a lot of people like this in the Oilers media, I think uh, Mark Masters or Mark Spector, I sometimes I get them mixed up. Ryan Rashog, maybe too. Uh, the type of writer who appears to be very much in the back pocket of the front office and will A, 
extremely rarely, if ever, criticize them. And B, tend to take the side of the reason the Oilers aren't winning is because McDavid and Drysaddle need to play more defense. And also, they're not tough enough. And also, the whatever you know, fake reason they come up with, that's anything besides terrible roster construction. Nothing to do with potentially the two best players in the world. And you can see, after Leon Dreisaitl, and that's the narrative getting peddled by guys like Jim Matson every day, especially if it's getting peddled arrogantly, uh, which you can see how something like that would be. Like, oh, I know best. Uh, and when you say something like, oh, these young players need to grow up and mature into Steve Eiserman, um, you can see how that would come across as extremely arrogant to someone like Leon Dreisaitl, who would perhaps feel uh, feel totally justified in you know passive aggressively saying, oh, why don't why don't you fill in the blanks? You know everything, Jim. Yeah, no, I I, I like looking at all this whole situation. I don't understand how anyone. Like you know, reads Jim Matheson's stuff, uh, in a serious way. You know, like I I don't understand how people You're value much older opinion. than us. We'll never understand. I I will never understand. You're right because it's it's so mind boggling. People are getting paid to write the same you know fucking dinosaur takes week after week and ask stupid fucking questions and and pursue dumb narratives that don't make any sense. Um, like the like the gotta play defense or gotta be tougher or gotta play with more grit with more effort um, and shit like that. Um, it's it's so baffling. Like you know, there's there's so much better content out there uh, in in many other forms. But you know, if you want to read tons of better like writers, better takes out there for people to read, more informed, more up to date, more exciting. Then fucking, oh, we want to, you know, like, Uga Booga, let's hit the fucking other team, you know? And, uh, yeah, that's with, with writers like, you know, like Jim Matheson, like, fucking, I don't know, Steve Simmons, yeah, Mark Spector. Not only are they, like, you know, like, especially the Oilers, I mean, not only are they, like, homers, but their content sucks. They don't talk about anything interesting. And it's so, like, how do people also have, have readerships? I don't understand. You know, like, other than to just, like, read it for the clicks to laugh at it. Honestly, that's the only time I'll ever read any of these people. Because, uh... They don't present anything remotely interesting. If we had them talk on TV, I wouldn't. I would turn it off immediately. Um, they don't have anything interesting to say. They have nothing interesting to say. They've been saying the same shit for thirty years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd be very interested to do a deep dive on this specific type of thing because I've noticed, you know, it's getting worse and worse every year. I feel like with me just having absolutely no interest in watching like a pregame show or the dissecting the play at intermission because it just seems like I can go on Twitter see something that like Jay Fresh or Dom LeCision or one of many other smart people says there and learn something. Uh, But the fact of the matter is most people don't watch sports to learn something. And most are, you know, maybe perhaps a reason why writers like Jim Matheson, let's start with Jim Matheson in particular, perhaps is still so revered in many circles is because he covered the Gretzky Oilers, the one championships. Uh, I don't even, is he even a Hall of Famer? I think Ryan Lambert said that actually wasn't true. Uh, so I, I didn't look too much into it. But anyway, it's not that he was in the Hall of Fame or it, whether he is or isn't. Uh, it's that he was around and reported on the championship Oilers. Now, we criticize this logic when the Oilers are like, oh, let's hire Kevin Lowe, who, was, who won a Stanley Cup. At least Kevin Lowe actually won a Stanley Cup. Jim Matheson just wrote about it. What does he know? He was just <laughs> there to watch when it happened. And people think somehow that like having you know written about the Oilers winning a Stanley Cup 
gives him this like great insight into what it takes to win a Stanley Cup. When in reality, he has, you know, astronomically less than the players who were actually there to do it. And even they keep, even they keep, you know, messing up in the front office. Not to mention, that was the 1980s, which is why I know the players' knowledge they have from back then doesn't correspond to the modern style of game. Jim Matheson's, who wasn't even on the ice to begin with, even less so. But, but anyway, what I was saying before about, like, most people, your average person, uh, doesn't watch sports to learn something. Doesn't engage with most things with a critical eye, let alone hockey, and therefore they're not interested in trying to wrap their head around you know an expected goals chart. And the extent of their analytics is when TSN shows like the home plate shots before every period starts, and all of a sudden they think they're like Albert Einstein over here. So it's much easier for someone like that. Uh, this may sound condescending, but, you know, I am kind of being condescending, so it's okay if it comes across that way. <laughs> the average person would much rather read an easy-to-follow narrative about how a star player needs to step up rather than uh, about how, you know, Duncan Keith isn't good anymore because of this and 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 how, you know, making that how, like, his actual value maybe corresponds to, like, you know, $1 million and not $5 million because this is, you know... The wins above replacement he brings to the ice because of this and this and that. Uh, and most people are going, would be going, what? I don't care. I'm not interested in this anymore. So writers like Jim Madison or even Steve Simmons, who put no effort into their pieces, uh, continue to stick around because there's a wide audience of people who don't want to think when they engage with sports. Yeah, I guess I guess that's why. It's just... <laughs> Yeah, they're in it strictly for the narratives, um, and not good narratives at that, right? Like there are there are much better narratives to be constructed here, um, and you know the Mike Mathesons, or no, Mike Mathesons, the Jim Mathesons, um, <laughs> and such are all just are writing lazy ones, and uh, you know I guess for the it's the Ugo Booga narrative for the Ugo Booga crowd, right? It makes a lot of sense, <laughs> and. Uh, it's <laughs> there's a lot of them out there, I guess is the takeaway. Um, but uh, they don't they don't contribute to my sports landscape in a particularly positive way at all, except to laugh at them. Yeah, uh, even it's not. I don't think that's just a hockey problem. Um, because I was watching no, a little not. bit of some NFL game. I don't or like the pregame show, and the guys were there talking before the game. And I know next to nothing about the NFL. And even I could tell the conversations were just so void of any substance. Where they were like, oh, what do you think is going to happen in the game? The other one like, oh, I think this team's going to win because of this one player who, you know, is back from an injury and is, you know, gonna got shot out of a cannon or whatever. And then they even went so far as being like, I think the final score is going to be 30 to 27. And then someone else was like, <laughs> I think the final score is going to be like 24 to, to, to 17. And it's like, what are, you, what, what's that, what are you talking about? How could you possibly make a prediction like that? Oh, man. You know, it's funny. I was going to point out the exact thing. Was it before the uh, the 49ers game yesterday? Or was, was that, was I, that I, were you watching probably. it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I caught, I caught that pregame coverage after the Titans game. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, like my dad was out there in the same room. He made the same observation. He's like, these old fucks don't have anything good to say um, because it's true. <laughs> it's all the same kind of people. It's like, you know, old white quarterbacks from like the 70s and 80s who are just like kind of right and like head coaches uh, who are all like 
saying nothing. And you're absolutely right. They offer nothing of substance. And it's like, you know, every so often you'll get some someone who says something smart and it's such a breath breath of fresh air. And you're like, and that's so absurd because these people are being paid to talk about it. They're not even being paid to play uh, and to talk about it. No, they're being paid to talk about it. And, and the fact that so many of these people can't do that well is a, is a travesty unto entertainment and, and its quality. Here's the thing, though. For many people, they are doing it well. When I was about 11 years old, I ate that stuff up. I was hooked to my screen. On like TSN did like the quiz at intermission, where it was like, what are the odds that 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 I don't know Cody Hodgson gets traded at the deadline, and then Bob McKenzie would be like, oh I'd say it's about seventy percent, and then Gino Red would be like, oh I'd say it's closer <laughs> to fifty five percent. And I was just watching like, wow, this is great. But the thing is, I was a child, historic and now I'm I'm twenty years old. Uh, and yet, this this type of thing is still on TV, and I just imagine, you know, a bunch of people, uh, aged from you know any age really, cooking up their football Sunday night nachos with the TV on in the background, like, hey, look, fucking uh, what Bo Callahan over here says that like <laughs> I don't know the the Buccaneers are gonna win thirty to twenty three. He probably has some very you know high knowledge to get such specific numbers like that let's see how close he is yeah <laughs> you must have the sports almanac or some shit like that um yeah yeah no it's uh it's 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 uh i, I it's hard you don't i don't even watch it anymore you know because you, you get to that point right like i don't i don't watch the pregame show at all uh if if i do manage to turn on the tv early I turn it back off and I'm just like, all right, I'll turn it back on in 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, <laughs> the, I don't know. Is it, has it, yeah, I guess so. Eh? The, the sports coverage has always been kind of this bad. It's just, you know, I feel like maybe we, yeah, we yeah. live in an age of information with the internet and like Twitter where it's like, we, we see for once, oh my God, you know, educated takes based on reality actually exist. That's crazy. And then uh, maybe now we finally look a bit of with a critical eye. These, uh, you know, Terry Bradshaws of the world. Yeah. By the way, the one football name I pulled out of nowhere, Bo Callahan, Bo Callahan is the name of that quarterback from the movie Draft Day who ends up slipping ah. from the consensus first overall on Draft Day. He slips from first overall consensus to seventh because everyone found out that none of his teammates went to his birthday party because they don't like him. That was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I have to say, is that a movie design? Is that a movie designed for eight year olds? Like, what's the target audience there? Seven year olds? Oh no! Uh, I'd say at least like fifty five <laughs> plus is the target audience. Oh god! Uh, oh, no, nobody came actually, to his Have you ever watched party. the movie? No, of course not. <laughs> okay, you you should no, watch that one. Just in, like you watch Score, and we're gonna talk about it. Oh come on! No, it's like it's oh, a man. it's a funny joke watch. Or I can just summarize what I remember. This was just several years ago I watched this movie. But basically, it all takes place on NFL Draft Day. Uh, and it's real NFL. T- uh, it's the Cleveland Browns, actually. Um, and the manager, uh, they they own the the, the sixth or seventh pick. I think the seventh pick. Um, and the man, the general manager makes a decision to trade the seventh pick and the first round picks and the next few drafts after trade up to first overall. 
without talking to his fellow front office people. And they're also mad. Like, this is not a good idea. You're going to draft Bo Callahan? Well, we already have a great quarterback. Uh, and meanwhile, the great quarterback they already have, like, trashes the office or something. Like, oh, you're getting rid of me. <laughs> um, and But then um, the, the general manager ends up finding out that, like, no one went to Bo Callahan's birthday party. And then drafts Avante Mack, who earlier that morning had written a note that was like Avante Mack, no matter what. Uh, and then the team, I think it was the Seahawks, who he traded the first, who he traded all the picks to, end up like making the like reverse of the trade, but like there was it was even worse somehow, and it would just make no sense with like like they got back more than they gave. But even though the value of Bo Callahan had diminished, and it just made no sense. And also, on draft day earlier in the movie, general manager was talking to the owner, and the owner was like, all right, draft day, what do we need? And it's like, you wouldn't have this conversation a little bit sooner than draft day? Oh, it was it was a disaster. It was a total shit show. Yeah, you, you got to look at this kind of thing and wonder, like, if you had just made a documentary about a particularly iconic draft, it would come out like tw- at least 20 times better than this fictional nonsense that they cooked up. 100%. Right? Those like the behind the scenes <laughs> videos where it's like just a camera on like a GM at a draft table. Vancouver had one. Montreal had one at the Caulfield draft. Just like six minute videos. I'm like, this is very fascinating to watch. Like pick up the phone, talk to like another GM who like wants to trade up, trade down. And, like chat back and forth with their scouts and the assistant GMs. And I'm like, this is really interesting to watch. And draft day would just like made it into this like fake drama that was like tugged to the heartstrings or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Like I, give me like, I don't know how this movie, how long this movie is, but give me 90 minutes of just like different general managers in any sport. Honestly, uh, you put a camera on them. You give me some like very marginal narration just to tell me what they're fucking or what they're talking about. Uh, I'd watch that every single year, without a doubt. Honestly, you know that would be more interesting than most hockey games, to me at least. I would be so fascinating <laughs> no. to me to watch the GMs wheeling and dealing, to watch yeah. one of them be like, "Oh, please give me Eric Goodbranson," and I was like, "No, sorry, can't do that." Shit like that. That's what I want to see. Yeah, I want to see the Cody CC contract negotiations. Please, I want to oh, see the transcript. Yes, oh please. Right, like or or like the discussion to add Cody CC, um, you know, like to to sign him. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like I would I would be so down to watch that. Um, and that would be like one of the best things ever to watch on television. I mean, one of the shit, like draft one of the most day, famous it's, it's, hockey it's videos. Yeah, yeah, one of the most famous hockey videos on YouTube is in 2013. The Bruins front office convincing themselves to trade Tyler Sagan, Peter Shirelli, Jim Benning, and company being like, oh, he's a very skilled player. But does he fit with our culture? And then, you know, they shipped him off to Dallas for in uh, one of the worst trades of the, the 2010s, getting back Louis Erickson and spare parts. Uh, and we actually have behind-the-scenes footage of them coming to that agreement. And actually, not well, not the trade itself, but of deciding to, like, move forward with the trade. And in that same video is when they found out that Nathan Horton wasn't going to be coming back and he decided to sign with the Blue Jackets. They were going, they were, like, they were so pissed. They were, oh, we lost Nathan Horton. And they're like, oh, now I guess we have to trade Tyler Zagan for some reason that correlates. 
<laughs> See, so like you know, that's well, everybody's starving for that kind of content, you know. And and if the NHL wants to take a step up in that marketing, I mean, like, what's the reason not to do it, right? Like for for stuff that's already in the past, that's already happened, or it's not like you know trade secrets or whatever. I mean, what well, you're gonna embarrass some people? You're gonna embarrass Jim Benning. We're gonna protect Jim well, Benning. Anything embarrassing then? Yeah, exactly. But like, so so that's what I'm sort of saying. Why why are we not? Why do we not have this kind of content? It's a damn shame. Because uh, yeah, that stuff is popular. That's that stuff would sell a hundred percent. That's why like shows like you know like Hard Knocks in the NFL they get consistent viewing. You know, because like that stuff is interesting. And and turn take it to a management role. Oh my god. And now you get some insight into why these things kind of happen. And I think that would be great for the marketing thing. But I doubt it'll ever happen. Yeah, that's why I really... Even something like Maple Leafs All or Nothing would have been so much better if the GM were someone less confident than Kyle Dubas, which is most GMs. If you got to see some of of like Vancouver or Edmonton or Arizona's wheeling and dealing... Oh, that would have been absolutely golden rather than Kyle Dubish just kind of, you know, being more or less intelligent. Yeah, no, absolutely. Give me give me the Rasmus Ristolainen trade negotiations. Um Oh, oh, that's what I wanted Seth Jones too. Give me the Seth Jones trade negotiations. Please. Oh, go on, go on. Oh, I don't I don't know. What well, Seth Jones, that one's that one's I don't think that's so interesting because we see it all over the place, the Seth Jones love, right? Well, so many people think he's the best fucking thing. Meanwhile, Rasmus first line, and this guy's fucking washed. Everybody knows it. On the Buffalo Sabres. And they managed to, to get a first-round pick out of him. I think that's... Oh, my God. That situation in Philly, too. That's underrated. They're going to... They're gonna, they can't resign him. He stinks. And the, his contract's up. And they're, like, losing 11 in a row right now. It's, uh, oh, my God. Is, is there I a taker for a that? Taker. Oh, my I think God. You think? Taker, yeah. For, like, a third? Okay. I don't think so. But, uh... Well, you know what? Oh, you yeah, know, oh, you know who's gonna know. be the taker? David Boyle. David Boyle is gonna be the taker on Ristolainen. Mark my words. <laughs> Nashville's Nashville's taking, and then just shore up that right side. Easy. It's the next step. It's either taking the next step to contention, baby. Rasmus Ristolainen. <laughs> All right. Yep. Okay. So. All right. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. So, uh, pivoting to something a little more serious. Uh, there were. Not one, but two uh, instances of racism in the minor leagues in North America that both received suspensions. And it was pointed out, hopefully it is, but more likely it isn't a coincidence, that this happened uh, not long after the Hockey Diversity Alliance came out with uh, an impactful video about racism in hockey. That later on that week, uh, Boko Imama in the AHL was a victim of a racist gesture from Christoph Rabic, who had then who was then suspended 30 games. And then a couple of days later, Jordan Subban in the ECHL, victim of another similar racist gesture uh, from Jacob Panetta, who's been suspended indefinitely now as they review the tape, uh, which seems okay. kind of uh, like an unnecessary step considering that the tape is quite easy for all to see. Um, and whenever this type of thing happens, uh, the a common refrain is there's no place for this in hockey. But someone shared on Twitter today a passage from a book that I've been wanting to read um, called Hockey's Toxic Culture and How to Fix It by Jashvina Shah and someone else that she wrote it with whose name I don't remember. Uh, talking about that exact sentiment uh, that people say there's no place for it in hockey, but the fact 
that this type of thing happens over and over again goes to show there indeed that there indeed there is there seems to be a place not only is there a place for it there seems to be uh, a better place for it than much other places and it seems to thrive here Right. Absolutely. Uh, there's, there's no question about it. Uh, really, honestly, any sort of intolerance um, we see throughout the sport of hockey. But yeah, with the, you know, the racism um, is still alive and well, very unfortunately, in, in the sport. I mean, it, it's terrible. This is the week that, you know, they was it they retired Willie O'Ree's number or in Boston. Uh, and then to see this happen, you know, it really goes, you know, it, it really just, you know, punctuates that point, which is that, you know, uh, you know, despite all the work that Willie O'Ree has done. Uh, there's, you know, hockey still got a huge culture problem uh, when it comes to the racism. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, sad to say that it's ingrained in the fabric of it, clearly, right now at this point. Uh, and, yeah, it's just, it's ingrained in the culture, right? And we see this time and time again. It's like every few months we see this kind of thing, right? Um, it just happens to be that this is a week where we see two such incidents. Um, but, you know, this happens every so often where a clip like this makes the rounds. Uh, and, you know, a player gets suspended or whatever. I mean, like, 30 games, are you kidding me? That's a complete joke of a suspension for this kind of act. Um, I, I heard uh, Jacob Panetta, the second guy in the CHL, uh, he, he got cut uh, today. Uh, he was originally suspended, but then they ended up cutting him. Uh, but, yeah, with, with Rabic, um, there there's no excuse. I think he plays for the Barracuda, right? Uh, there, there's no excuse for keeping him on the, him on the team. There There's absolutely none. I mean, this is – you can't get away with this stuff in real life. Uh, not not a chance you get away with this stuff uh, on, on the ice, but you know the the way it is is uh, you, you'll get off pretty lightly because the power structure is the way it is and isn't designed to uh, uproot that kind of racism. Yep, uh, man. I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, Jordan Subban, Boko Mama, all these Jalen Smerick not long ago over in Europe, uh, they just all deserve so much better from a sport that uh, doesn't love them back and kind of repeatedly shows shows them that uh, it basically wishes that they weren't even there. It's just it's very sad to see, especially as you mentioned on the week that Willie O'Ree's number was finally retired in Boston uh, after way too long, his number 22. Uh, and there's even been some talk that, you know, perhaps it should be, um, it should be retired league wide. I wouldn't be opposed to that at all. I think it would be a great initiative. Um, I was listening to the Buck Soup podcast earlier this week where they compared it to uh, to Jackie Robinson. And you can really see kind of how after Jackie Robinson broke into Major League Baseball, uh, many black players followed suit in the coming years. After Willie O'Ree, though, it's an indictment on a hockey culture that there wasn't another black player after him for like at least 10 years or so or something like that. And so, you know, this sport is just constantly lagging behind the rest of the world. Yeah, absolutely. In, in all of their policies. Uh, and, you know, even you look at the HDA and it's like it, it doesn't seem to be getting any sort of support from the league. Uh, and yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's it's never been welcome. It's, you know, for it, it's always been a kind of racist environment. It has been a racist environment. And, you know, it, it, you know, retiring Willie Rory's number uh, league wide would be definitely be a nice gesture. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot more work to be done. In fact, you know, there's 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 fundamental work to be done uh in terms of you know eventually uprooting that racism because yeah it it is so deeply ingrained um that you know it's it sucks for the players obviously uh who you know are the victims of these 
of these actions and also for the whole community, right? Because that's what they, that's what they see, right? In the news on, on their timelines and whatnot. Uh, and, you know, and nobody's, nobody in those communities are, are meant to feel welcome uh, within the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do a hard pivot away to something else that I wanted to talk about before we get to my trivia for you. Um, and we actually touched on this a little bit before when we were talking about journalism, which is that your beloved Tennessee Titans oh, lost God. yesterday, uh, and you were very sad about it. And I was even, as I said to you, quasi rooting for them. Thank so you. I was like, ah, uh, oh well. I the but I did uh, admittedly get over it pretty quickly, uh, whereas <laughs> I don't think you have. Uh, and you said to me you're going to be upset about it for the next seven months or so. That's right. Seven months until the next until the next season begins. Um, yeah, if I if I might launch into my Titans diatribe, uh, I think did, did I talk about this last year? I feel like I had a, I held a post mortem. Like, I think you did on the post on the podcast. Yeah, eh? um, it seems like it's it's a bit of an annual thing now. It's like uh, the the pain of being a Titans fan. Um, but yeah, they did they did lose yesterday in the playoffs uh, in their first playoff game after being the number one seed in their conference getting the only buy for the whole conference, uh, came out and and the offense laid a fucking dud. Uh, and then not only that, they were down early, came back, and looked like they might drive for the winning, you know, kick, only to completely fucking blow it with a quarterback throwing an interception. It was like, you know, all they had to do to make it into overtime was not throw an interception on that one play. They could have gotten away with literally anything else. They could have thrown it into the dirt. Um, anyways, this is... Uh, this is going a bit a bit off the rails, uh, but but anyways, uh, very upsetting time. I was very emotionally invested in this team. Uh, now that I don't have a hockey team to cheer for, uh, really, my only sports fandom at this point is the Tennessee Titans. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I thought this might be the year they win their first Super Bowl, but uh, alas, I I have been disappointed just as I have been my entire life with this team. Uh, unfortunate, and uh, I can't wait for another three hundred sixty four days until uh, you, you hear me talk about this again. Oh well, uh, yeah, that was that was. I remember because that interception. Also, I mean, you know, it's very easy to say that in hindsight. But as I was watching, like that looked particularly weak, as if yes. like perhaps even I wouldn't have made a pass like that. It was very <laughs> obvious, right? That like it was no, it... very obvious even from the moment the ball left the quarterback's hand. I was like, "What are you doing? The other team is about to catch that." Yes, that 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 does seem to be a problem with this quarterback. It happened three times in that game, and if you look, if you look at that, that that one play, there there is a different player wide open, right in front of him. Makes you wonder, makes you wonder. Uh, but yes, that that, that I think that Marcus Mariota wasn't yes. that their quarterback. You were like the that star was... of the future. Where, where, where is he? What's up with him? <laughs> yeah, uh, that was uh, he, he left the team I think three years ago. This is our second season without oh. him, uh, because uh, yeah, he sucked. Um, he was terrible. Uh, he was not a starter, and. Oh. Uh, Basically, this this new guy came and usurped him, and now he's like a backup on the fucking Las Vegas Raiders. Um, so he's not, he's not up to much. But uh, weren't you, know, you this, like, I think this was about Marcus Mariota's like good, the best quarterback ever when you were in like grade eight or something. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't need these bad takes to revisit me right now in this time of war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was that was a particularly misinformed take. Uh, Mariota was not was not the greatest quarterback of all time. Um, uh, unlike what my uh, what fifteen year old self would have you believe, um, he was not the answer. But uh, yeah, this, as I was saying, this was uh, this is probably the most painful loss I have ever watched as a sports fan. 
because of just how stupid the way they lost oh. it. It was it was so stupid how they lost that game. That's a, a peak dumb. Anyways, so oh, that's, you that's saying football painful losses just now reminded yeah. me of a story I thought of. I think like a week and a half ago, and I was like, oh, I gotta bring this up on Fusion at some point. All right. Because I don't think I've ever told you about back when I played hockey, my most painful loss ever. Because this is a brilliant story, and it's okay. not especially related to anything we're talking about, except for the painful losses. But I I, sure. I, I want to share it now. Why not? So Let's this do is, it. This is actually my first year playing in Adam. Rookie. Uh, so I was it was I was in grade four, so I was ten years old at the end of the season. Um, actually, there were two painful losses. The less painful one, we we finished second place in the standings of like a ten team league or whatever it was about ten. Uh, the first place team was undefeated all year, um, and we were the only team that had played them close a couple times. But even they blew us out five one like a couple times. Uh, in the finals, it was a best of three. We lost the first game by like two to one, three to one, or something. I don't remember. The next game, we score first like twenty seconds into the game, and we managed to hold on to that lead all the way till the end. When we take a couple penalties. We're down five on three. They scored twice. We lose, like, late in the third period. But that that wasn't even the painful loss that I was talking oh. about. Because after that, uh, we had another tournament. You know, you like teams would, like, you know, raise money and pay to, like, play in more tournaments. Um, and we were – it was, like, a double elimination tournament. We'd already lost one game. So this was, like, a, if we win this game, we move on to the finals – and if we don't run out, it was for it was basically a semifinal game, um, and it was one one, and one of our players gets a five minute major and a game misconduct for I don't remember what. How do you do? But I don't even. Gonna ask to the ice. This kid's like ten, eleven years old. I don't remember. You know, it's very easy to like accidentally, you know, get a boarding call or something like that, and then all of a sudden you're out of the game. Um, it was 1-1. It goes to overtime. Uh, we win. Our player scores a goal. We all pile on the ice. Yeah, we won. We're going to the finals. And the finals are tomorrow. Next day, I wake up all hyped up to play in the finals. Uh, when my parents deliver me the sad news that they received an email that in this tournament, there actually isn't supposed to be overtime. The officials made an error allowing us to play overtime, and that the tiebreaker is whoever had fewer penalty minutes wins the game. Oh my and god! So, and so we lost, and I didn't find out until the next morning, and I was distraught. And that's how my season ended. The entire season was over after Holy that. Holy shit! I was what? so disappointed. Oh my god! Wait. So the question is, was that five minute major plus game is done conduct the 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 thing that put yes, you guys that's over what, the edge? Oh my god. No one else had any more any other penalties in that game. So that one thing. We we lost our like sportsmanship points or something. Terrible. And and that's how that's how the game and I was because first of all, it's not only that we thought we won. I went to bed and woke up ready for the finals and then found out that we lost. It was that it was so stupid of a rule. <laughs> Like the penalty for the penalty is the penalty. You don't have to take off <laughs> extra tiebreaker points. You're 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 absolutely right. I couldn't agree more. 
And plus, they already played the overtime. What are they doing overturning shit like this? It's outrageous. Yeah, I know. It's outrageous. Why are they overturning? That's, that's just for nothing. Oh, man. And the, if, so, if there were no penalties in the game, then what's the next tiebreaker? That you can't... Right. You can't have overtime, though. Absolutely no chance. <laughs> no, that would be against the rules. Um, yeah, <laughs> maybe that... Maybe, <laughs> maybe that ref had that thought in mind. That's why he called the major in the first place. It was like, oh, fuck. I don't think we're supposed to be playing overtime. Let us call this major penalty to uh, to, 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 to settle sure the tiebreaker. Tie yeah, exactly. Well, if the ref had that in mind, then the ref wouldn't have made the mistake of letting us play overtime. Maybe there were different referees, you know? One had that thought. The other one proceeded to start the overtime. Who knows? Who knows? It's the, <laughs> oh, no. it's the, it's the Adam, it's the 20, like, what is this? Uh, 2010 Adam Hockey Conspiracy Theory. Um, this was this was 2012 at this point. Close enough. <laughs> uh, I, I'm uh, sure you can. I'm still extremely bitter about this. Nearly 10 years later. Yeah, he's still he's still telling the he's still telling the story to anyone who will listen. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm surprised it took me uh, over two years of fusion to bring that up. It's not like I think about it super often, but when I do, I yeah. I don't like. It's not like I get mad all over again because, as you can tell, I mostly laugh at it now. But at the time, man, that was a sad day for me. Yeah, I can imagine. That's tough sledding for a 10-year-old, you know? Uh, yeah. That's a heartbreaker. That's a real heartbreaker. Season ends on a penalty minute tiebreaker that you find out the next fucking day because they made you play in <laughs> overtime that you won but doesn't count. As this has got to be the peak stupidity. Um, wow, yeah. hockey tournament uh, organizers. You know, at least, down bad. I guess, you kind of say, you can look at like, at least our last moment on the ice was a moment of celebrating our victory that we thought we had. Kind of like Team North America in the World Cup. They were celebrating their last game because they thought they'd clinched a uh, spot in the semifinals, but they actually hadn't. And then that was their last game ever. <laughs> last game ever as an organized group. Team North America, yeah. presumably. Uh, um, Team North America kicked so much ass. And, you know, it's kind of... And I, part of me thinks that they should come back again. Um, because they were such a great marketing success. And if the, uh, the NHL ever did, like, you know, make a World Cup happen, there's really no good reason for them. Like, oh, Team North America, no way. Uh, but on the other hand, the fact that they are just, like, one blip in hockey history is a super strange anomaly that everyone loves so much. And and we can now look back as having some of the greatest players of this generation. McDavid, Matthews, McKinnon were all there on the ice at the same time on a power play. Are you kidding me? Um, so it's pretty, it was a very special team. And the fact that they, they only played like three games and made such this profound impact on hockey culture. Massive success. Beautiful. Gotta love Team North beautiful. America. Beautiful. Huge dub. North America, only the best vibes. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll never see that kind of talent combined on one team uh again so young and exciting too that was uh that was that was something else yeah so anyways how do we even get here oh yeah the titans lost and i'm sad about it but yeah and then you yes okay all right um so yeah that's uh that's what's what segment do we call it is that this week's in in memoriam segment the titans and your adam hockey season uh the adam civics it's it's, it's a two and one the dollard civics the dollar, what the fuck kind of name is that? That's terrible. But I'm not even no, okay. All that. the all the the dollar single letter. Actually, I think the double letter teams too. Uh, we're all called either the Civics, Centennials, or Citadels, 
or once there was a fourth team in the league, and I don't remember what they were called, but I'm pretty sure they also started with a soft C. Why? What, what, what's with these lame uh, fucking words? Huh? I don't know. What the hell is a really Civic? the lamest names compared to, like, you know, to like the, the Pierre Fon Barons and, like, the Eagles cool. and all these things. And we're, we're just like, oh, this is Centennials city? because I don't, it's like a your, your civic duty. I don't know. Dumb as uh, like Centennials for like the 100th anniversary of Dollard, which happened a long time ago at this point. Like literally anything that's older than 100 could be like, oh, we're the Centennials in honor of that time we had our 100th anniversary. <laughs> Terrible. To honestly, you guys deserve, with that kind of name, you guys deserve to get penalty fucking <laughs> tiebreakered. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they didn't feel an ounce of an ounce of an ounce of remorse. They're like, "Oh man, we got a tie, we got a penalty tiebreak or someone after they won the game." Oh wait, their name's the Civics. Who gives a shit? Um, I I I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if that attitude was present among the organizers. Yeah, well. Anyway, uh, let's move on to my trivia. After all that, um, oh yes. Uh, so I decided. Because uh, last night, some preliminary names for Team Canada's Olympic roster were announced, uh, including not only a couple prospects like Owen Power and Kent Johnson, uh, but also some former NHLers and even some former Habs like Eric Stahl, David DeArnay, Daniel Carr, and Mark Barbario. Olympic season is almost upon us, so I've got a 10-question, multiple-choice quiz about the history of men's ice hockey at the winter olympics are you ready All to right. get going let's do it. this is pure I trivia think, okay well, yeah pure trivia uh we'll set the threshold at at a seven out of ten. Okay. First question what was the first year nhlers went to the olympics 1992 1998 2002 or 2006 Ooh, i'm pretty sure man I get the feel like 1998 sounds like the year. I think that's Nagano, right? Sounds pretty legit. I don't like that. Whenever we're talking about the NHL Olympic discourse, I think 1998 is always the year people talk about it. So I, I know they went in 2002, but I think it's 1998. That's my final answer. Correct. 1998. That was the first one. All right. Question number two. Which team won the gold medal in 1998? Was it Canada, Russia, Finland, or the Czech Republic? Ooh. Man. I feel like I feel like you're you're trying to get me to guess Canada. So wait, which were the other two? Finland, Russia, Czech Republic. And the Czech Republic. All right. Interesting. See, the question is, why would you put... Mm, okay. All right, I'm going to say Finland. It's a complete wrong. guess. The team, oh. Wrong. The team that won the gold medal in 1998 was the Czech Republic, uh, led by Dominic Hasek, world-beating ah, greatest goalie of all time. That'll do it. I or neglected to think about Dominic Hasek. Terrible. All right, go for it. Mm-hmm. That was also the famous Canada played the Czech Republic in the semifinals. It went to a shootout and the coach didn't use Gretzky, who was very old, but everyone's like, why aren't you using Gretzky? And then they lost. Uh, and it lives on in history. Anyway, question number three. 
Iconic. Which of these players had four points for Canada in the gold medal game 5-2 win over the USA in 2002? Was it Joe Sackick, Mario Lemieux, Jerome Ginla, or Paul Correa? Ooh. Okay. Interesting. So... All right, can I get those names again? Yeah, we got Joe Sackick, Mario Lemieux, Jerome Ginla, Paul Correa. All right, 2002, hmm, it's another total guess. I have no idea what happened in 2002. I'm going to say Joe Sackick gives gives four goals. Did you say four points or four goals? Whatever it is. He sounds, sounds like a scorer. Four points. Yep, you Joe got Sackick. it. Joe Sackick. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's go. Oh, uh, again, I had three points in that game. They were they were lighting oh. it up. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, right. 5-2. Question number four. Five years after Sweden's 2006 gold medal victory, which player who was on the team was interpreted to insinuate that Sweden purposely lost their preliminary round game to Team Slovakia in order to draw a more favorable quarterfinal matchup. Was it Frederick Modine, Matt Sundin, Peter Forsberg, or Daniel Alfredson? Ooh. Hmm. You're in a stunned silence. <laughs> What is this question? So the question is, who was the whistleblower? Or who, who was potentially insinuating that they blew that game? Yeah, who was basically wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we blew it. Okay, all right. So we had Forsberg. Who was it? Who was it? Modine. Um, who yeah, were the other options? Patrick Modine, Matt Sundin, Peter Forsberg, or ah. Daniel Alfredson. Who's... Uh... Who gives sneaky sneaky vibes? Um, hmm. Yet again, another another shot in the dark, because uh, I don't follow the Swedish media too much. All right, I'm gonna say Peter Forsberg. Ding ding ding! You are correct. It was Peter <laughs> Forsberg, and I I had never heard of this story before at all, Me which neither. is kind of surprising. I was looking on the 2006 men's hockey tournament and a Wikipedia page looking for like, all right, like what's a good question I can ask about this year. And I got to this section that was like, um, yeah, Sweden, uh, lost to Slovakia three, nothing in their last game of the preliminary round to place themselves against the Czechs in the quarterfinal instead of Canada before the game, the Swedish coach said something like, oh yeah, the Czechs are good, but Canada's just another level or something like that. And then they had like a five-on-three power play with like all their stars who just kind of didn't even take a shot the entire time. Uh, and there were at the time, there were reports like, did, did they just t- throw the game? I kind of think they threw the game. And then five years later, Peter Forsberg apparently insinuated that indeed they did. But then they won the gold medal. So, so yeah, what's wrong with that? I see nothing wrong with this scheme. I see nothing wrong with this scheme. Yeah, if Even you don't want did. if you don't want teams to blow games, get a get a better format or get a higher seed gets to pick their opponent format. Exactly. Um, 
Yeah, no, that's uh, I don't understand why this is a controversy. Um, they're just <laughs> using their abilities on the on the rink to get themselves a better matchup. Can't blame them. Can't blame them one bit. All right, next up in the 2010 round robin, Switzerland managed to push Canada to a shootout thanks to a 45 save performance from which goalie? Yaroslav Halak, Peter Budai, Jonas Hiller, or Kari Ramo? Ooh. You say Switzerland? Yeah. Okay. So I know it's not Halak, because he's uh, Slovakian. Um, who the other one's? Kari Ramo, I think is Finnish. Um, who, who else is there? Who are the other two? Peter Budai and Jonas Hiller. Ooh. Man, where's Peter Budai from? Is he Switch? I don't think so. Pretty sure he's Slovakian, actually. Okay, by process of elimination, I'm going to say the fourth guy. You say it was Jonas Hiller? Yeah. I, I don't think he's any... I don't know his nationality. I assume it's Swiss, I guess. Is it Jonas Hiller? Yes, it is Jonas Hiller. Oh, yeah. um, but Big dub. <laughs> you just saying Kari Ramo is Finnish. I was like, wait, what? He is? And I looked is it up, he? and he is Finnish. You were right. For yeah. some reason, I was so certain he was Swiss... My strategy, I'll put like two non-Swiss goalies and two Swiss goalies. But okay. I only put one Swiss goalie. Anyway. A gimme. I'm not complaining. All right. A gimme. Yeah. Thank All you. Right. You're four for five in very good shape. Uh, right. Next up, which of these players did not score in the 2010 gold medal game? Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, Ryan Kessler, Corey Perry. Ooh. Man. That gold that, that that was the gold medal game. And I don't Man. I think Ryan Kessler scored. Uh Ooh, shit. Um, who else are they? Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, Ryan Kessler, Corey Perry. I think it's one of the Blackhawks. I think it's Taves or Kane. Um, yeah, I don't think Kane scored in that game. I, I have a vague recollection of Taves scoring. Corey Perry seems like a guy who would score. I'm going to say Patrick Kane. Correct. Once again, the oh, goal yeah. scores in that game were first Taves and Perry for Canada, followed by Kessler and Zach Parise for USA, and then Crosby in overtime. There we go. Next up. Uh, so you are at five for six now. Next up, okay. in 2014, how many goals did TJ Oshi score in that shootout? Oh my god! Uh, oh, my, your options: three, yeah. four, five, or six. Man, three, four. This is just gonna be. I'm just gonna have to guess a number. Um, I'm gonna guess four. Correct again. Four <laughs> goals. Okay, all right. It's just that kind of day. It's just that kind of day at the office. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this one, if you get this one, you win. Um, you have you have three questions left. Just got to get one right to meet the threshold. Okay. Uh, in that same shootout in that Team USA Russia game, yeah. which two players were alternating shooting for Russia after the third round? Was it A. Alex Ovechkin and Evgeny Kuznetsov? B. 
Vladimir Tarasenko and Evgeny Malkin, C. Pavel Datsyuk and Ilya Kovalchuk, or D. Nikita Kucherov and Alexander Radulov. I think I know this one. I think what was the third one again? It was it was you say Datsyuk and Kovalchuk. Correct. That's that's my answer. There we go. Ding, ding, I remember. Ding. So I remember that one. That one was that was my surest uh-huh. answer. Big dubs. Oh, that nice. and Jonas Hiller. Notice Swiss name. <laughs> yeah, right. no one Swiss goalie. <laughs> All right. Um, so two questions left. Let's see if you can get this up to a 90%. Which of these players was on Team Canada's 2014 roster? Brent Burns, Logan Couture, Joe Thornton, or Patrick Marlowe? Which one was on the roster? Which one was on the roster? So three of them weren't. Okay, I don't think Burns was on the roster. Uh, who were the other ones? There was Marlowe. There was Pavelski. Couture and Thornton. Couture and Thornton. Pavelski's American, so I did not. Okay, right, right, right. Right, right. Uh, I'm going to say Patrick Marlowe. Correct. Patrick Marlowe was on the team. Big dogs. I'm going to live. Last question. Fucking A. Last question. Which of these players was named the MVP of the 2018 tournament? Ilya Kovalchuk, Kirill Kaprizov, Nikita Gusev. And, or Igor Shostorkin. All of them were there and on team Olympic athletes from okay. Russia, by the way. So they were they were all there. So Gusev, Shostorkin, Kovalchuk. What was the fourth guy? Or Kaprizov. Okay. Kaprizov seems a bit young to win an MVP. I'm going to say... I'm going to say Nikita Gusev. Wrong. Nikita Gusev oh. did lead the tournament in points, I believe, but the MVP was Ilya Kovalchuk. Ah, I feel uh, like I should have known and, that. I feel like I should remember that one. God damn. But yeah. So an 8 on 10 performance for you in All this right. Olympic quiz. Respectable showing. How, how did you like that one? Did, did I do a good job? It was nice. It was a nice quiz. It was very straightforward. Uh, qu- quality questions. Quality quiz. Thank you. Thank you. I'll give myself a little pat on the back for that one. Well done. Um, so before we sign off, it's time to pick a team for next week. Any ideas? Hmm. Are you thinking bad team or good team? Uh, we can kind of. Why don't we stay in like the average team? Not okay. doing an average team was kind of fun. Who who's also right around the middle of the pack? I mean, are the Rangers pretty average? Uh, well, I, I feel like there are actually, there are no the, average teams in the East. There are eight the, teams that are excellent right. and eight teams that are awful. The Blues are kind of on the bubble. Uh, I think are they? Are have they, we, have we done any the California either. teams left yet? Have we done any in California? Oh man, I don't know. I don't think so. Want to do a California maybe did the ducks. Oh. I feel like we did the Ducks. Oh. Didn't we do the Ducks? No, we did, we did not do the Ducks. We did not do the Ducks. And I know that because the first time we brought up this idea of doing a team every week, I was like, oh, well, we know we're definitely not going to do the Ducks for a while because they're boring as uh, shit. <laughs> and so we, we haven't, and we haven't done them yet. Do, okay, all right. Want to do them? Sure. Okay, let's let's take a look. Let's take a look at uh, how many games they have this week. Make sure it's a... Uh, Substantial, yeah. Okay, so they play tomorrow against Boston. A team playing on Monday is a good sign. They'll play at least three. Yeah, Atlantic Street. Yeah, they got four games. And Thursday. Yep. Oh, and, uh, oh well, they, they they play the Habs on uh, what was that on Thursday? 
Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so four games this week, including an afternoon game at 1230 on Saturday the 29th. Uh, so, fun. yeah, let's let's take a look at Trevor Zegris and John Gibson and Hampus Lindholm and Nicholas Delorier and Ryan Getzlaff and Troy Terry and Derek Grant and everyone else. And like Anaheim half Ducks. the Atlantic. We're going to get to yeah. see half the Atlantic division this week. All right. Yeah. Fun. All right. Okay. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. We'll be back next week talking about the Ducks and whatever else transpires in the hockey world between now and then. You can follow us on Instagram at Fusion and Hockey Podcast, individually on Twitter at Tarsay2, at Alex's new handle. The end. Ooh.